Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You're in the doghouse, and we're here to talk Mississippi State sports on the Believe Podcast Network. This is your host, David Murray, and thanks for joining us for this week's, almost this weekend's, updated doghouse as we discuss the state of state. And the state of state basketball is not encouraging at the moment. Lady Bulldogs uh, got a little bit of positive momentum this week. And football. Yep, plenty to talk about at football. We'll save that for later on. And oh yeah, we haven't forgotten. We're getting close to opening day. Baseball is back. Almost. For Bulldog basketball. All right. If I'm breathing very heavy, it's kind of a sigh of frustration, and I can only imagine how Coach Chris Jans is feeling at this point himself. That was an ugly loss at Florida. I thought the Bulldogs had a decent chance of winning the game. Maybe I would even predicted that they would come out of there a win. Um, that was being optimistic. At the very worst, I thought it was 50-50. Well, the Florida Gators got every 50-50 ball just about. They certainly got more than 50% of their shots, or at least it looked that way, while Mississippi State was discombobulated on offense, to say it kindly, not very efficient on defense, and almost run out of the gym at one stretch. Now, this was not like the previous week, Kentucky. Kentucky was playing really good, playing a style of ball that Mississippi State just could not keep up with, and State did battle back to make competitive. In this case, that was a team, Florida, with a good game plan, pretty aggressive approach, but not in the same athletic universe as Florida. Now, now, watch after I've said that, the Gators come up and somehow knock off Kentucky. And this year in the SEC, I would believe just about anything. I still think the point holds. Mississippi State is not playing up to potential. Uh, That's not shocking news out there. And I'm pretty sure the head coach would go along with the idea, maybe not in the same words, but it is still just a hugely frustrating state of events. This is the Bulldog team right now. Uh, they're in the lower third of the SEC standings, uh, two and what five at this point, um, two and four, I'm sorry, two and four, and that's only ahead of a, a one-win team and two winless teams. Now, it's not the kind of company you want to be keeping at this point. You want to be playing those teams, of course, and you already have played one of them, hapless Vanderbilt, You've got Missouri coming up later in the schedule, but right now, you don't. You've got Auburn at 2.30. A very ticked-off Auburn team as well. When the Tigers were beaten in Tuscaloosa, by the way, I think Alabama was favored, if you believe in such things, and the odds makers got it right, although I think they understated the margin. Just a big win for the Crimson Tide, who now have the tie break on the Tigers, and Kentucky's also up there now as a one-loss team as well. But that's an Auburn bunch that, well, let's just say they're not going to take defeat on the road very gracefully. They know they're coming into Humphrey Coliseum with a chance to address that, and their style of play has just not been conducive to State's own attempts to play defense previous years. I'm not sure anybody can really defend Auburn. You just got to hope they miss on their own sometimes. Point being, Auburn's going to come in here really looking to win and motivated. And right now, I'm wondering just how motivated Mississippi State is. Now, our Justin Frommer of Gene's Page was at the game last night. He had his own observations that you can read uh, in columns and the videos he was able to get from coach and players. 
my observations from this distance and really following on the heels of the win at Vanderbilt, where I thought for the first half, a fair chunk of the first half at least, the Bulldogs didn't seem really, uh, what's the phrase for it, um, fired up to play a basketball game. Oh, they got it in time to take care of a hapless Commodore team. But last night, after they missed a bunch of shots early and a bunch of easy shots that they had earned, that's what's so frustrating. They worked themselves into good shooting positions, and the ball just didn't go in. I think that steamrolled emotionally. It started affecting how they played on defense, and then when the defense started going bad, the offense started going even worse. It just all snowballed, a funny thing to say in Gainesville, Florida, even during this recent winter cold wave, but you get the idea, and state they did manage to show up a little better in the second half, but by then, much like Kentucky, it was too late. So what's the deal? I don't know. I I don't have access to practices, nor do any media. This is not the good old days where I was able to sit and watch uh, Richard Williams' teams, Bob Boyd's teams go through their paces, things like that. The world has changed greatly. I don't expect access. In the Internet world, it just ain't going to happen. All you can judge by is what you see on the court. The players are saying the right things, but they're not doing the right things on the court. And it's frustrating because you know they're better than this. Or are they? Here is why I'm getting worried about the remainder of this season. Now, let me come out and stress. Despite the fact that they have a low SEC standing, plenty of time to address that and certainly get back into the mid-pack. But as far as NCAA tournament goes, at this point, they're, what, uh, number 42 in the quad, I believe. I'm sorry, the net rankings and still have two quad one wins. Already Tennessee, as you know, and thanks to a surge by Washington State, That's a second quad one win. So State only lost two spots, dropping the game at Florida, who was number 45 at the time. They pretty much swapped places today in the updated rankings. And even by playing Auburn, they're going to help their net ranking because you're playing a top 10 team. At least they were. I haven't checked what Auburn's net is after losing at Alabama, but I don't think they'll get docked too seriously for losing at another top 10 team's court. That's all well and good. But as we learned with Bulldog baseball the past two years, certainly for the first half of seasons, when you base it on RPI then, in basketball net, it's great to have those net standings. At some point, you just got to have wins. Mississippi State needs some wins. Now, getting it against Auburn, admittedly, that's going to be tough. Maybe very unlikely at this point. But look who they got coming up. You have to go to Ole Miss, a team that has... Their net ranking is not actually that strong, but they are in the polls, which tells you the kind of disconnect between the two. But anyway, Ole Miss is playing pretty well on the home court, and you certainly know that their coaching staff wants to get a scalp at the rival's expense. And then you have to go to Alabama, who's absolutely riding high right now. Tough, tough stretch coming up with Christian's team. I do not have any way to predict how the dogs would handle if they – not only lose this week to Auburn, but then get swept next week on the road, that would be, what, a four-game losing streak? Wow. You're digging yourself into a serious first-half hole in the SEC and, related to that, the NCAA tournament standings. Still have a shot, and right now they're flirting around there between last four out, uh, I'm sorry, first four out, last four in, however you want to look at those things, 
I got a feeling they're going to be dancing around that end of the uh, early bubble for quite some time now. The net ranking's still going to be good playing all these teams. As I said, you've got to start getting some wins because when you just have two through this first stretch, yeah, that South Carolina loss, quote, looks a little better after the Gamecocks did defeat Kentucky. Still a loss. And that's still, ultimately, you can have all the nets you want, but if you can't back it up with enough Ws, you're not going to get picked for the NCAA tournament. You've put yourself in a situation where you've got to go to Nashville and do some real damage in the SEC tourney. Jams doesn't want to do that. The team doesn't want to be in that position. They're working themselves into it pretty fast at this point. And speaking of points, well, Tolu Smith is getting his. Uh, Josh Hubbard is getting his. But what's going on with the rest of this team? And that is where you start wondering, is a shakeup in store? Now, the coach knows these things way better than any media member, especially myself. All I can do is say what I see from, again, a safe distance uh, from my press box perch in Hurry Coliseum or watching on the screen. Well, what I see is a team a little too talented to be where they are, except the talent. All right. Let me sum it up this way. Uh, Offensively, I did a piece on uh, Josh Hubbard this week and the fact that in the freshman flash, what he's doing in perimeter and how he's really raised his game in certain other levels. I don't think defensively he's anywhere near what uh, Coach Jans wants him to be. Well, that's understandable. And uh, he's also a little bit undersized out there for some of the guards he's trying to battle. But at least I'm seeing better effort on the defensive end. Doesn't mean better efficiency, but at least better effort. Offensively, he's all state head last night outside, and Florida knew it. I'm not going to knock him for his shooting line, which, you know, on the surface of it, looks like he was just flailing things up. Even Jans admitted he was the only offensive option State had most of the time, so he had to force a bunch of those shots. But let's raise the larger point to that. Why is he the one taking the shots, particularly perimeter shots? This. Josh, who has not started a game, has more three-pointers than the entire starting lineup combined. That tells you pretty much all you need to know about Mississippi State's struggles to produce points at the three-point line. Now, I'm not one of those who says a team should live out on the arc. But if defenses are daring you to shoot it, well, you better be able to shoot it. Uh, I thought maybe Trey Fort was coming on a little faster than he was. And last night, it's odd. He looked like the freshman, and Hubbard looked like the transfer, somebody with a little more seasoning. But I still think Fort has plenty of potential out there. Enough to be in the starting lineup? Probably not at this point, maybe not even all season. But should Hubbard be in the starting lineup? Well, at some point, I'm afraid Coach Jans is going to need to start rethinking, do I go with a good, solid defensive lineup to begin games and uh, go with my best offensive lineup? Or do I start getting those offensive guys in faster? I'm not going to answer for him. I just know that you can't fall behind and you can't miss early opportunities like they have in recent games, especially when you have some guys who just aren't producing. And when I do these critiques, understand it's not personal, and it's certainly not casting any aspersions on a player's effort or abilities. They are what they are in that regard. It's just what's the production, and Deshaun Davis is not producing. He's been held scoreless in three of his last four games, I believe, 
In fact, he's only taken a dozen shots, which is a great way to stay scoreless if you're never shooting, except eight of those 12 shots were taken at the arc, and all of them were missed. Yes, I'm sure some of them were just because defense is backed off, the shot clock's running down, he has the ball in his hands as the point guard, so he's got to throw something up. But doesn't that reflect a larger picture that your point guard is not getting the ball to other players in scoring positions? Or are those players getting in scoring positions? I'm not experienced enough breaking down film, even after all these years of watching basketball, to dictate that because I don't know what the play was called. I do know that when you have guys like Cam Matthews and DJ Jeffries who are getting their points here and there, but neither is going off consistently, neither is getting the points at times where the game kind of hangs in the balance, or when if you just get another bucket from each of those, it will keep a run going or maybe even cap off a run that puts you in position to dictate control the rest of the game, or if they start a run to just come back and rally. At this point, to overstate things, no pun intended, State's basically playing with two offensive players, and for much of the time, they're not on the court at the same time. So what do you do? Well, if it were up to the media and the fans, you would adjust your lineup and put a more offensive lineup out there. And for those who would say, yes, but you're giving up defense and rebounding and such, well, neither one of those are getting you positioned to win these games either. So at least come out there and give some kind of threat on offense to keep you in the game, maybe even build a lead and ride on it when you put in your defensive guys. Just a suggestion, again, Coach Chris Jans didn't get this job by being a dummy. And he's gonna, he knows his personnel. He also knows what works, but he also knows what works together. And that's the hardest thing for me to judge. I, again, I've noted the stretches where it just seemed like there wasn't a lot of energy on the court. And I'm not even sure the most seasoned coach in the game can do a lot about that in today's college basketball. That just seems to be what the modern athlete is prone to. No, this is not some old guy yelling at clouds. The world changes. Athletes are just plain different today. And I'm not sure there's the mental resilience at times in some of these guys. Um, we can relate this to football. What was it Cheryl once said that uh, you can only ask a team to, quote, get up a couple of times a year? Well, the corollary to that would be you can't try to force them to get up every game, including basketball, and you can't ask them to be up all 40 minutes in basketball. That's just the nature of the beast. And that applies to the opponents too by as well. And don't forget that. Everything we say can also be applied to the team status playing. However, when those teams with equal or often better talent are putting in more focus, more intensity, just a little bit longer, that's where you end up with those periods where, say, State's post players look a little flat-footed defensively, letting the ball get to the goal too easy. Or your point guard or your guy, secondary guard with the ball throws a lazy pass, doesn't anticipate the defender coming out and cutting it. And boy, was that a problem last night at Florida several times as well. Or post guys not looking for the ball to come into them in the post, working hard enough to get open. Then when the ball comes, they're surprised it becomes a turnover. There's something that is just not clicking with the on-court chemistry on this team. That doesn't make them bad people. Uh, I'm not saying this is anywhere like what well, <laughs> It would probably raise a few flames around here if I tried to invoke the 
rather interesting developments of uh, 12, 14 years ago when teams would self-destruct internally. I don't see that happening here. Then again, I don't know what NIL has done to the modern athlete as well as far as their motivation to show up and play every time. Again, not the old man saying it was better in the good old days. Who cares what the good old days were? It's these days. And these days, the Bulldogs have to go out there and win some games to get themselves back in NCAA consideration more strongly. They're still there, but as said, as repeated, and you're going to get tired of hearing it as we go on through the spring of here, you've got to start winning more games. The Lady Bulldogs won a game at the same court, same city in Florida, and that was a good one for Sam Purcell's team. Yes, Florida was a little understrength, but you know what? You've got to take advantage of those opportunities and get those road Ws. Their net right now, I believe, is 32 as they have the uh, weekend mostly off. They don't play again until Monday. In fact, this is their open date week. No game on Thursday. And they had a chance to watch a team who did play on Thursday, LSU. That's Mississippi State's next opponent. And you got to think that Kim Mulkey's Tigers will not be happy either when they come to Humphrey Coliseum this coming Monday evening. So that's going to be a challenge. Obviously, the LSU looked good for about 30 minutes of the game, and then South Carolina's natural superiority. Goodness, they are good. They're big. They're athletic. They're fast. They can all shoot. They can all score. They can all defend. That is a good basketball team South Carolina puts on the court as usual. LSU is pretty good, but not quite that good. However, they're coming to Humphrey Coliseum, and if – any of us know much about Kim Mulkey, <laughs> they're going to be motivated and she's going to be dressing entertainingly. So, But don't just show up at the hump to see what the opposing coach is wearing. Uh, show up to see what Sam Purcell's team does. They're kind of at a hinge point of the season as well. Of course, theirs runs a whole week shorter, so the clock is running a little faster for them at this point. Now, they're on the road after LSU at Kentucky, a team that's really struggling this year, and then at Texas A&M, a team comparable to state in the net rankings for women as well, before they host Florida and Georgia the first week of February. So it's a chance for the Lady Bulldogs to really gain some ground here and to build their NCAA case. I haven't checked any of the bracketology for them lately, but you got a good feeling about where they're going to be standing uh, if they just somehow pull it off against LSU, they're in great shape. Even if they don't, they're in good shape. But that's they're fun to watch. Uh, I've been watching Jessica Carter last couple of games, the way she's taken over offensively. You're seeing better work from the kids off the bench now that they're starting to get a feel for how they want to play together. And that was something, frankly, in uh, parts of December and earlier this month, I'd watch them and think there's really not a feel for how each other plays off the ball or when you're on the court, if you don't have the ball, how you play with who does have it. I know that sounds convoluted, but you understand what I'm saying. I think they're getting a better feel for each other and awareness of where they like to go with the ball, what kind of shots they do like to take, what they will see, uh, how to get their eye so the ball comes your way if you can get open and find those positions to do some damage with it. But it seems to be a team that's starting to play better, and they were already playing pretty decent for a good stretch of the season. So keep an eye on the Lady Bulldogs, and if you can be there in Humphrey Coliseum, uh, say I believe, let's see, Saturday's game with Auburn is sold out. I don't know what the status of tickets for the LSU game is, 
but it should be a really good crowd for a Monday night there, especially now that the weather is giving us a little bit of relief trying to get into the Humpty Dome uh, this, these winter days. All right, we promised we were going to talk about football. A lot to talk about because there's good things happening for Jeff Levy and his program as finally today Mississippi State made it official who all is enrolled for the spring semester. Now, our Steve Robertson, he had a piece written, let's see, 10 days ago about this. And then it turned out that a couple of players, just a couple, were still trying to get clearance and it went past the drop ad course deadline dates of January 22, 23, a whole week after the semester started. But there's some wiggle room built into that. And if anybody wants to complain that athletes may get a break when others don't, then you're not li- <laughs> you, you probably shouldn't be listening to this site or reading what we're writing on jeanspage.com or other things. You just don't understand that. That's necessary in today's sports because transfers, even high school enrollments, can be a little more complicated now with the way semesters overlap or don't. Uh, But state, as of now, I believe 29 were able to get enrolled officially for the spring semester. They're still hanging on for one more possibility out of high school. And then there's a couple of high school guys who will be signing in February. They can't be here in spring. Uh, They weren't even going to try to be, so no problem there. And that will keep adding to a recruiting class that is just, well, this spring enrollment class is easily the biggest ever at Mississippi State. Now, that that's because the transfer portal has made it so easy to get these mid-semester transfers for spring ball and such. Still, that's a lot of players coming in. And when you add in the February guys, well, you're going to have roughly half of your roster for preseason in August is going to be new to Mississippi State. Is that abnormal? Well, here, yes. Mississippi State has not invested that heavily in the portal. In a lot of places, no. That's become standard operating procedure around senior college football now. Eventually, we're going to have to debate whether that's good for the long-term future of the sport, particularly at the high school level, when increasingly your high school stars are being told, no, there's no place for you on a Power 5 lineup, uh, much less on a roster. But if you'll go to the FCC ranks or if you'll go to a group of five or go JUCO, play somewhere else, and we'll pick you up if you perform there. If that sounds cold-blooded, that's just what we've allowed the sport to be turned into. And when I say we, I mean we fans. We can point our fingers at the NCAA all we want to. We can curse the TV money, which has inspired the demand of players to get a share of the action. All these things. Point is, we've all played a part in this. Even us media who have pumped up recruiting or how valuable this player is to a program. And so every one of us has a piece of responsibility. That's just a, again, that's just how it is. And that's how it's going to be if and until there's some sort of change in the landscape. And I don't see that happening anytime soon. I think it should probably, as as annoying as it's going to be, I think we should give it a good five years of NIL plus portal and really let things shake out and see what is happening. Any kind of comprehensive response today, I believe, would be not just premature but actually damaging and maybe even useless because it would almost certainly get blown up in court somewhere. 
All right, back to Mississippi State. As mentioned, 29. By the way, 13 of them are on defense. And I, I throw that out because, goodness, the message board angst about defensive recruiting. Is it great? No. Is it good? I think so. Is it good enough? Only time's going to tell. But I, I want to downplay the narrative that Jeff Levy doesn't care about defense. He is recruited and brought in defensive players for his new co- coordinator to start working with immediately in spring. But that means, of course, 16 were on the offense side of the ball and probably more of those coming, too, in spring as well. So 15 transfers, six junior college players, the rest high school. Over half of the class is transfers. Again, that's about to become the norm for winter and spring recruiting. So what do you what does that really mean for Mississippi State? Well, it's a whole lot of plug and play guys you're counting on, whether offensive line, defensive line, certainly at wide receiver, almost definitely at quarterback, because we're not going to find out whether Chris Parson is ready to go a hundred percent until watching him all during spring camp, maybe even preseason. He's close. He was close enough to play this past year, but honestly, he probably should not have played other than some mop-up action. It's just sheer necessity forced him onto the field in a couple of games. And I don't think his confidence got rattled too hard by that awful evening at Texas A&M. Goodness, that was painful to watch in person. But we still want to know what physical shape is he in, and that's going to be told once you get into spring ball. But it's, even had he been 100%, you've got to have a transfer quarterback. Blake Shapin answers that bill. And now you've got the true freshman, Michael Van Buren, who is also on campus. So now you've got a real quarterback room to go into spring. By the way, I've worked up a piece about uh, L SEC quarterback transfers, uh, who, uh, you know, the teams that you know, basically rode what they had, the teams that tried to upgrade. Yes, I believe Mississippi State did try to upgrade. That's not a knock on Will Rogers. That's just an explanation that when you change offenses, and Will Rogers would not have suited this offense by all indications, then you bring in a guy you're definitely attempting to upgrade. Does that make sense? I hope so, because no insults intended. I am not one of those guys who bashes Will Rogers. I can't. The guy gave all he had for most of four seasons here, and maybe even a little more considering how badly he was hurt uh, during the course of his senior season. And we wish him well at Washington now that he's decided to stay out there. And hopefully it works because, uh, goodness knows, the new Washington coach got to see him up close twice and watched him shred his Arizona defenses out there. So hopefully Jed Fish finds a place for him. In the, Of course, he's also going to be playing the Big Ten instead of out on the West Coast all the time. Anyway, as far as Mississippi State, yes, I think they've upgraded that position. I believe they've definitely upgraded the wide receiver room, compounded by the true freshman who will be coming in with the preseason not available spring and many other areas. So, by the way, 29 are coming in. Now, this is going to be a little convoluted to explain, but try to stay with me. Yes, that's the biggest transfer class State has ever had. And last year, though, it was 12. We tend to forget the state went into the transfer portal pretty heavily compared to previous years under Mike Leach and then Zach Arnett. Still, what was it, 12, and the previous year, 9. And then I think the first real, real year of the transfer portal. I want to go back, you know, when it started settling in the fact that this is the way you're going to have to go, I think there was 7. So that's, what, 28 transfers in the previous three years. 
State sat more than half of that coming in in one class this year. In fact, they've uh, this recruiting class, the spring class of 29, is more than all the transfers who came in in spring for three whole seasons. Just trust me, the math does come out that way. What am I saying? I'm saying that Jeff Levy and company, they aren't just trying to play catch-up in the portal, how other teams are doing it. They're trying to set their own pace. They're trying to rebuild, restock, and just basically remake this roster and in the process remake this whole program's approach to the game, both offensively and defensively, and for that matter, philosophically. And that's what Levy was hired to do. I honestly believe we can talk about his reputation as an innovative offensive coordinator, and that's true. We can talk about how he's been able to win games at different schools, Central Florida, Ole Miss, Oklahoma, as a coordinator. So he's been around winning. He's been around winning coaches. He's been in recruiting battles in several parts of the country, different conferences. But I think the main reason he was brought in was this is a coach who understands the transfer portal and how it works and how it doesn't work. We certainly hope to have a sit down with him at some time in the near future. What we understand is there won't be any talks with him or the assistant coaches probably until February 7th, which of course is the first of the spring signing period. I say signing period because it lasts all the way through March, but realistically, if they haven't signed by the first or second day, February 7th, 8th, they're probably going to be someone who doesn't sign, is a walk-on, or they're just waiting on the academics to come together. So that will be the second signing period, and it's been totally eclipsed by the winter period, but it still matters because now Jeff Levy, he's been able to see what he could and could not get in the portal So now he has a chance to either score some more in the portal in the next period, which is April 15th through 30th. And not coincidentally, that will be very close to when spring football ends for Mississippi State. So I'm pretty sure in the April portal there will be some guys taking their bow of the Bulldog program after they see where they stand or more likely don't stand in the schemes of this new coordinator, head coach, the systems they're installing both sides and then chance to go after some plugins in April. Oh, is the portal going to be that rich? No, not particularly, unless there are guys from uh, Alabama, Washington, Arizona. Oh, good. Oh, oh, wait, I forgot. Michigan? Hmm? Well, okay. I'm starting to talk like a recruiting fan there, which I am not. As far as following the leans, commitments, all that kind of stuff. By the way, do we even call lean anymore? Is that I used to have to write that word so many times in the 90s and 2000s. It seemed like it's almost vanished from the vocabulary these days. Well, there'll still be more action in the spring portal after Levy and staff really get a look at what they have and what they don't have. But most of it is going to be in place. And it's already here, most of the new stuff. And that's the great thing about what this staff has done. They've made a whole hog commitment, and they've gotten the university administrations and the athletic department full blessing to take this approach and just start revamping everything in spring. Not, Never mind, don't wait until summer, much less the preseason. Do it now. They've done it now. And we'll start seeing the results during spring camp, which, by the way, now that the early enrolling is done... Now there's just a a couple of recruiting weekends left. Maybe we'll get a spring camp schedule soon, huh? 
We can certainly hope because I'd like to make some spring plans myself around baseball and other obligations. Uh, let's just say that I have a health situation to take care of in February. Not serious. I'm, I'll be okay, but just something that's got to be done. A tip out there to y'all. Don't get old and nearsighted. Uh, so now I mentioned the NCAA's transfer portals period for spring, April 15th through 30th. The spring game is April 20th. So a little neat coincidence there that it just falls together. Would it be nicer if the portal was, say, a few weeks later? The NCAA's really got to look at their timing of things. Part of me says do away with the spring period totally, but then that's not really an opportunity for guys who have hung on through the winter portal just because they maybe, maybe, and then all of a sudden they're recruited over towards the end of the first period, and now they got to fight for their lives or their jobs or just even their scholarships in the spring period. So they need a way out as well. I just think it's a bad timing. They should probably move it back a week or so, maybe make it May 1 through 15th, that kind of thing, which is more closer to the uh, graduations, certainly for the semester schools, quarter schools, a little differently. I was looking at Washington's quarter system that Will Rogers was already enrolled in, by the way, and uh, that's a different animal. I just I don't know how schools do that and cope with the NCAA's competition calendar, which is certainly biased towards semester systems. Well, that's our doghouse for this weekend. Oh, yes, I mentioned opening day. It's on the way. We have some great reporting by Mike Nemeth on our jeanspage.com. Check out the baseball stories. He has done a position-by-position breakdown, one position per day. You're going to find some really good information and get a really good idea of where guys stand as camp has already began. The individual practices started back on the 16th, one of those snow days, as it turned out. But Friday, right now, we're having our first media day, our first chance to talk with Coach Chris Limonis. Some selected players will be there. We'll have plenty of video and interviews and other things on Gene's page for you to come check out and get a feel for baseball because it's almost here. I was able to walk into Dudeville Field the other day on the way to a basketball press conference. They left the gate open. Okay, they were power cleaning the concourse, but hey, I considered it an open invitation The trophy is still there, shining just as proudly as ever, despite this lousy weather we've had lately. And the grass is green on Duty Noble Field. Oh, goodness. I don't know what it is about baseball that makes you feel like life is about to begin again, probably the combination of spring and all that, or just the fact that even after a couple of down seasons, no sport has hoped spring, no pun intended, back more quickly than Bulldog Baseball because they have the record to prove it. And this looks like an entertaining team coming up. I certainly expect a return to the NCAA tournament this year. Uh, Contending, eh, that's probably going to depend on can they really find a Friday night starter. I don't think there's an obvious pick out there right now. We'll see what Lamonis has to say on that topic, obviously. And a few positional questions, but... Just to sum up what our own Nemo has been able to report, offensively, going to be a good team. Defensively, a better team. Pitching, well, we shall see. But so far, injuries have only taken out one perspective pitcher, uh, Makai Grant. Otherwise, we're told that it looks like they're going to be healthy for spring. But again, that'll be one of the top topics tomorrow to ask Lamonis because it just seems in recent years you're going to get told somebody is hurt 
somebody's hurting, somebody's not able to practice. That's just what college baseball's turned into everywhere. But everybody has injuries, so injuries aren't an excuse. Well, let's see what he has to tell you tomorrow, and we'll pass it along to you. And we'll be talking about it sometime next week as well, here in the Doghouse on the Believe Podcast Network. Thanks for checking in, and let's see what the Bulldogs can get done in the basketball courts this Saturday and Monday. Turning point for Bulldog basketball? Well, let's see against the Auburn, and then Monday night LSU. And by then, we hope to have a spring football schedule to talk about next week as well. Until then, stay warm, stay dry, and stay in tune with the Doghouse on the Believe Podcast Network. This is your host, David Murray. Thanks for checking in. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.